Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Michael Monroe. How are you? Good. <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You you are a harp player and one of the few people that I can think of in, in, in rock that plays saxophone. It's like, there's really not people that really do. It's like, probably actually say like you and, um, and Ian from, from um, Jethro Tull are the only guys that actually have instruments that you wouldn't think about being in a rock and roll band. You know what I mean? Yeah, he plays the flute, right? Yeah, he plays the flute and you, you play the saxophone. Those aren't things you usually see in a band, you know? Yeah, in a rock band and a singer like me, yeah, it doesn't happen every day. Not not many singers play that. And I think it adds a nice color. And uh, uh, just, oh, usually I have a few couple of songs with the sax on, on my albums uh, as, yeah, and the harp too. It's, uh, yeah. Because everybody normally always wants to play the guitar and play these solos and you know, that's why a lot of great rhythm players are not as appreciated as solo players like, you know, Malcolm Young and Keith Richards was originally really a rhythm player. And uh, really, that has a lot to do with the entirety of the sound of the band that there's a lot to be said about, said about that. The rhythm really player. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is, is I think with the, the saxophone to me, because I always feel the very strong 1950s. Yeah. That's in your music, in you. And, and and to me, when I first heard you, let me step back a little bit, people aren't aware of who you are, obviously, you know, your rocks and solo. But right. when I first heard you guys being in America, I'm thinking I, I've, uh, it was two steps uh, from the movies when I first heard you, like had the cassette. And I'm like, I'm listening to it. And I remember I'm like, like, it's kind of punk, but then it's also glam, like Slade type. But then I'm like, so is it punk or is it glam? But it's got this like rock and melody. And then wait, it's a saxophone. This is bananas. What kind of music is this? You know, right? and it's rock and, and roll, and, and it's rock and roll, and and to me, it feels like it harkens back to like, yeah, it's like you sprinkle a little of this, a little of that, a little like little Richard, you know, and, and and it's your sound, and exactly, it's carried over though to all the projects you've done. It's not yeah. just my rocks. I mean, it's you kind of sound, you are the sound of it. I mean, you're the voice. That's a great, great an, uh, analysis. Of of uh, of the band, what you just said, it's like it's just because one of the best things about Hanoi was we we defied all categories. Mm -hmm. We had all these influences, and we made our own thing about it. And that's the best when that happens. That's but but all the, all the best bands should do, and do do have you know influences from everything. And we had from from punk to calypso, we played for, and from Little Richard to the Rolling Stones to the Ramones, and and all everything in between. Yeah, and funk and reggae and blues and and soul and. And we made our own thing, and uh, and and that's what I still do. I do my own thing, and it's rock and roll. There's no need to categorize it. And, and I agree. And and I, we were talking about Andy. Andy, it's the same thing. It's what is categorizing? What are borders? No borders. He got me good. Yeah. He got me good in that one because it's really just rock and roll is the, the older stuff, and you know back then. That's and, right. And how it holds up, you know. Yeah. No, no need to uh, restrict yourself with any any kind of uh, categories or, or or genres. And that's what the record companies, of course, they encourage that because they want to market a product with, uh, okay. This I think that was thing. a hard time, I think, that they had with you guys because I think they wanted to make you this. Yeah. And, and I think that's some perfect. of the best fans, they always switch to like, you're not that. That's why you guys are who you are. Yeah, that's, that's why right. we're talking. Yeah. And then, uh, can you believe it? The CBS, they, they thought the Two Steps from the Move cover, they said, oh, that's too heavy metal. They thought that the cover was. And uh, I was well, like, what? And they said, I don't hear a single. I mean, we, don't you ever leave me? No, um, million miles away. Or, uh, well, up around the band was like, well, the reason we had that song was uh, the last minute was because uh, the song Two Steps from the Move was left off the album. Uh, well, Bob Ezrin, first of all, he said it was the craziest song he's ever heard. And <laughs> the, single, <laughs> uh, 
and uh that was that's that showed up later in uh, uh on a compilation or so but uh the uh opera on the band was like the record company said we don't hear a single and uh, we were on tour in germany at the time already and Ezrin was mixing the album and then we were the only cassette we had with us in the, in the band was uh a credence clearwater revival live at the Royal Albert Hall, and uh, we thought, let's take one of these, either Bad Moon Rising, Hate Tonight, or Up Around the Band. I was like, yeah, Up Around the Band, let's take that one. And then uh, Ezra and flew over to London. We went into the studio in Camden Town. I forgot the name of it, but we did it, uh, one day a recording. Uh, we rearranged the song and uh, made it mm-hmm. like our own. And, and uh, even my mother said that, uh, oh, I like your version better than the original. I was, was going to say, I, I was not a fan of them. Like, I did not, not like them, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. And then I heard your version. It actually went back, and I've grown to have more appreciation for them through your version of that song. Yeah. Well, thank you. But I mean, you know, both are good in their own way. But the, the our version is maybe it's, it's a bit faster. It's moving. It's grooving. Uh, it's just a different approach. I think that's and, what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it has the modulations and stuff. There's a lot more happening there. So it's more like the other. The original one is, of course, the same, same key and the same. It doesn't doesn't right. really go anywhere further than which ends as it starts. But uh, of course, I respect the original and John Fogarty. Absolutely. Of course, he's a hero. They've had their own sound, but to me, I'm a fan of you guys and that sound. So you guys doing it yeah, made that it was song much more enjoyable. Yeah, we did it in one day. I remember in the backing vocals, uh, in the middle section with the drums where there's the come on the rise and when the harmonies come, I remember Nasty was in pretty, not feeling that great. It was uh, uh, that much bad shape that he passed out when he was singing. <laughs> Come on, rising wind. So Bob Ezrin is singing. This is just like trivia information. Uh, Bob Ezrin is singing the harmony though. Come on, the rising wind, going up around the band. <laughs> He's singing that that harmony because Nasty passed out. It was a bit, uh, he had a bit too much of drink or something. So, uh, and I remember it was that one day. Yeah, we did that. And then it was mixed the next day. I went, I was, I was the only one in the studio with the guy who mixed it. His name was David Tickle. David, David Tickle. Uh, we mixed it and I uh, went in to listen to it, listen to it in his car. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds good. That was a test. Car. Yeah. The ultimate yeah. test, right? Is in the car. You get it all done. You work in a big studio. Then everyone runs out to the car to hear it in the car. Yeah. yeah. Well, when we did Demolition 23 album with uh, little Steven, then uh, that was when uh, Steven had this. Well, he wanted to, it was like, I, I got him into the Sex Pistols. I wanted the great rock and roll swing. I mean, the, uh, uh, yeah, the great rock and roll swindle, the movie yep. as, a, as a Christmas present, one Christmas, uh, the, the, the VHS tape, and he loved it. It was like, whoa. And he, he just, uh, you know, I took him to see Iggy Pop. For the, he'd never seen Iggy either. Really? Iggy, yeah. So he got into all this punk stuff, and he, when he, was, he was producing the Demolition 23 album. He used the uh, Never Mind the Bollocks, his Sex Pistols. That album was like his, his, his uh, blueprint for, or, or Bible for that record. He was always comparing the sounds. And he had this shitty little boombox that he always went to listen to the mixes on. If it sounds good on this, this shitty little yeah. thing, then it's going to sound good everywhere. So that was a good point. And uh, it was, that was one of, one of the most fun I had. Making a record in, we did it in like two weeks. Uh, we recorded the basic tracks with 10 songs, basic tracks uh, in three days, the music. And then I sang all the songs in, uh, in two days. And then uh, you know it's like one take. That was a, take, that was a good album. That was a good that was a good album though. Yeah, it sounded good. Really, I mean, actually, yeah, that's been unavailable for years and years. And now finally, this year it's going to come out in October uh, on Little Steven's Wicked Cool Records. He's going to release it. It's remastered. It? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I I I, went, I was at the mastering. It was mastered here in Finland with my guy. I was there, and uh, it's got more kicking drum. The drums are kicking more. So it's, uh, the sound has improved. 
even it's even more kick-ass and uh it's gonna come out on vinyl which it never nice. did never out on vinyl before it's come out vinyl cd and and digital all the formats and coming out on october uh this year in october uh so uh that's exciting uh, it's a great record and and uh we always the guitars play. are so heavy on that you know, you always yeah. have good guitars, though. I mean, even when you did Jay Henning, God rest his soul, he was a star, a, right? He was a superstar if he hadn't done himself in. I mean, he took his own life, uh, uh, sadly, in uh, 97, I think. Uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he killed Time himself. Line, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, really sad because he was such a great guitarist. I mean, for, for yeah. that band to have uh, only one guitarist that he really filled the space with his solos and everything. He was like, uh, it's really hard to um, kind of play with a, if you're the only guitarist when you play solos, you know, it often feels like it, it's right, kind there's of- There's a hole uh, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he filled it, he'll, he filled the space with his solos in such a great way that it was never a hole there. And it was a fantastic player and uh, really too bad. He, he had, you know, he had some problems, uh, you know, with, uh, had a bit of a habit and uh, he was trying to kick it. And then he got arrested uh, well, in uh, Alphabet City, when uh, he was scoring something, and uh, we had to get Nasty Suicide to replace him. We were just going to go on tour. It was like a week or two before the tour, and we last minute we had Nasty to replace him. We were on our way to Japan, and we played in London and Finland, and uh, then went to Japan. And unfortunately, he was left out because of that. And his yeah, he didn't make it to the video, did he? Because there's there's video of that. I think it's Nasty yeah. playing guitar on on YouTube. Yeah. Everything's in YouTube. We did a video of uh, Nothing's All Right. That he's he's in uh, he's in that video. Jay is okay. I and saw a live in, performance of it as I'm talking. Live, live. Yeah, I mean, there's some live stuff. We we did. Uh, I mean, we had the Monday nights at the Grand in New York uh, yeah. for, for like was it uh, ten nights in a row. We had you know, and Joe Ramone as a guest the first night. Every night we had Ian Hunter one night. We like we had a guest. We did three songs with a guest uh, wow. every night uh, on Mondays, and it was called Michael Monroe and Friends. And it was me, Sammy Alpha, Jamie Clark, and uh, Jay Henning. That was actually the band, the Motion 23 band, and did you know? They showed videos of uh, all this vintage, all this MC5, Stooges, Dead Boys, and all the coolest Alice Cooper. And uh, uh, till the midnight, then the band hit the stage, and we played the coolest punk covers from the the Damned, the Ruts, the uh, the uh, you know MC5, uh, the, all our favorites, uh, Stooges and uh, and Hanoi, of course, and uh, uh, and my stuff, Dead uh, Dead Joe Rock and Roll, and all that. And really, really killer shows that were. Uh, we cre- created a scene at the, the Grand Club and, um, mm-hmm. and then we ended up making our album. We actually made three demos of uh, the songs, uh, Hammersmith Palais, uh, Dysfunctional and uh, The Scum Lives On uh, beforehand at the Baby Monster Studios on 14th Street. And uh, those three demos, I had them. I, and those are going to be on the as bonus tracks on this. On oh, the, nice. uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm looking be- forward to because I, I like, I've only heard off of again, YouTube. So. Yeah, no. and there's a long form video that came out in the Japan. There's a long form video that had that kind of covers the the trip from from uh, New York to to uh, to, to uh, Tokyo uh, to Japan. And there's the Tokyo show is at the end of the end of it all. But in the beginning, there's uh, uh, footage from from um, uh, what's the place was that? Mercury Mercury Lounge. We played in New York with, with Jay Henning on guitar. There's footage on that uh, with him him on guitar. With uh, with the songs and um, uh, in it. yeah, Jay's in, it. and then there's a video of the Nothing's All Right video that Jay's in, and there's some interviews we did manage to do with Jay uh, in the beginning, and but it's just just such a, such a shame. I and mean, Nasty did a great job, 
uh, with him. But then you could also Nasty is used to playing with another guitarist, so he's, he's more like that in that sense. Uh, Jay suit the uh, one guitar player better being the only guitarist uh, covering the space and stuff. I mean, Nasty Nasty is uh, kind of uh, maybe plays better with a with two guitars. Yeah. You know, he, he's like the one. Which is a weaving, weaving thing, which is fantastic. And he did great with Demolition, but Jay really had that one guitar, you know, if you have bass, drums, and guitar, uh, uh, he all his solos and stuff, he, he really was exceptional, fantastic. And also, Alice Cooper fan, who I never imagined we... I met him through Jim, um, Tommy Price, the drummer, uh, yep. uh, who uh, had a jam at the Telephone Bar and Grill on uh, 2nd Avenue and 10th Street. We were doing a benefit for this girl, Gilda, who was a waitress who, was, uh, who had... Uh, uh, AIDS and she was dying in the hospital. We did like a benefit for her and Joan Jett was there and, and, and Tommy Price. And then we put this band together. Johnny Rayo, who used to play in David Johansson's band. Uh, John, Tommy Price, Sammy Alpha on bass and Jay Henning on guitar, wow. on the, the other guitar, with Johnny Rayo. And we played a few songs. We played like Funky But Chic, uh, the John, Johansson song. We did uh, uh, Free, uh, the uh, uh, Wishing Well from Free. We did uh, so, uh, Under My Wheels and stuff like that, you know, rock and roll. And uh, then uh, Jay Henning, I met him and he, I got to know him. I said, this amazing guitarist. And he knew, he had his snakeskin platform boots, first of all. I was like, wow, like this yellow kind of neon yellow, worn out snakeskin mm -hmm. platform boots. I said, wow. And they look cool with, on him. And he was like, yeah, he knew every Alice Cooper record, even the first two albums, Easy Action and Pretty's For You, all the songs, every note. Oh, wow. And never I know Alice, but I, know I couldn't. Cool. I even, even, Alice doesn't, even Alice doesn't understand those records. It's just like, you know, it's just so weird. And they were trying to be like Frank Zappa or something. And it was so funny. So, uh, yeah, he was exceptional. God rest his soul. Jay Henning, I mean, he would have been a superstar. You know? Such a shame. Well, you, Such a it was good. I mean, as he came in, I mean, and that was after you did the one-off album. You did uh, Jerusalem Slim, another good album. I know it wasn't, didn't continue on with Steve Stevens, whatever. But regardless, well, you guys I mean, that did it. That was uh, a good. That sounds good too, though. That is a good sound. Yeah, it looked album. good on paper. Uh, the uh, what do you mean? Uh, you mean the uh, Jerusalem Slim album? Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, the idea was I, uh, well, that album was uh, to me, it was a disaster. Uh, but it started out as, well, Steve, uh, he approached me after he's heard the, uh, uh, the album, uh, not faking it. He heard, uh, you know, uh, Phil Grandy, God rest mm -hmm. his soul. He was the amazing guitarist and. On a, then a, all night with the lights on that song, that solos yeah. guy. Well, I had Michael Frondelli as the engineer, who was actually who produced uh, or, or recorded the uh, Rebel Yell album. Uh, he was the engineer on that record, and he, he used maybe some uh, some effect on that solo in All Night with the Lights On. And Steve was like, he called me, and said, "Man, you know, I should be a guitarist." And so I know he looked the part and uh, great player, and he played the kind of rock and roll he knew I liked. You know, Chuck Berry more like the Chuck yeah. Berry direction. Which he could, of course, but uh, and we did demos for about a year, and the demos were sounding promising and great. And uh, then I wanted Little Steven to produce the album, but the, the Polygram Records—it was my deal with Polygram Records—and they didn't want to allow that. And I was like, "Wow!" Uh, so then, and they insisted on Michael Wagner, the heavy metal producer from Germany, who had just been, happened to be the flavor of the month at the time. He'd done an Ozzy Osbourne album he mixed uh, uh, at the time, the No More Tears or something. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, then there was, uh, he'd done the Skid Row records and it wasn't, you know, and that was the biggest, that was the a big mistake because Steve easily would go that way, even though he was saying he wanted to, you know, play uh, yeah. the kind of guitar he knows I liked. 
uh, and he played great on the demos, uh, which are available, by the way, in the internet. You can find them, JS, the demos. You can find them, uh, the original songs, uh, the original demos, so you can tell what the what it was supposed to be. Well, I'm going to check them out then. I mean, because if yeah. I like those, the, the other ones could be even better. The underground had like two guitar parts, and we ended up in L.A., we were supposed to be two or three weeks of guitars, ended up being three months of guitar hell. And him doubling, quadrupling uh, guitar parts, like the same part. I was like, well, what happened to the two guitar parts? And he was originally, he was saying he wanted to have another guitarist. So it'll be like, you know, like the kind of music I play. You know, like even Dead Jail or Rock and Roll. There's the two guitars that are weaving. And, and you know, that's the way it's supposed right, to be. But that's so he, was, not... he started like all of a sudden he went that way. And Wagner, as the producer, was the worst uh, <coughs> because he was encouraging oh yeah you know the solos and all more and more the two hands on the neck crap a million notes a second uh, with no soul and it was all of a sudden like what the hell is this and i said this is not my record anymore steve what happened you know, the demos i mean you know that was the whole blueprint for the album and oh forget forget the demos he's like oh, we're making the album now and was, don't don't bother me i want to play my no i want to impress everyone with my guitar player and it's like what the hell i mean the songs aren't going to be i took off there i mean i saved some of the songs i mean we had scum lives on which unfortunately the album, I mean, the record company put out the album against my will because the, uh, and Scum Lives On, I there's a version of it, which uh, ended up on, uh, as a bonus track in a European version of the record, which I pulled out the best songs of the album. I said, okay, let it be a shit album with uh, heavy metal histrionics and the worst songs. Uh, I saved some of the songs of the album that I uh, wanted to save for uh, 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 Demolition 23, like Dead Time Stories yeah. was, or was going to be on the record and I, luckily I managed to pull it out because yeah, but uh, and Scum Lives On I didn't want because that version, well there's nothing good about that version except uh, we had Donald Trump in the in the scumbag sec- section in the middle so Donald, <laughs> Trump, Donald Trump and Tipper Gore we had there in the lyrics which is, uh, I'm, I'm, I regret that we took it off uh, with Stephen in the studio, Stephen it's the same thing, it's the only thing he's pissed about that we didn't have Donald Trump and the Demolition 23 version <laughs> names. But uh, the thing is, I was freak, freaking out and the record was going the wrong way. And then uh, I even tried to stop it. I had my We were in L.A. I never wanted to go there in the first place. And I had done my vocals already in uh, Wisconsin, where we did the basic tracks in some stupid studio that Wagner was Wisconsin. working Wisconsin? Wisconsin, yeah. The cheese capital. Uh, I've never some... heard of yeah, any albums done in Wisconsin. Yeah, it was a studio. It was like a broken down shack. It was it was some old that used to be some. I think it was like a Playboy resort with a golf course or something. It was just a big big uh, meadow with or, or grassy. You know, there's some uh, with with uh, with geese with with goose shit all over the place. And it, and the uh, place is like you know it was raining and the water's dripping and uh, and even in uh, in uh, in L.A. the studio was uh, was called Scream or something. And they had like. When it was raining, it was like a big rainy season. There was water dripping on the tapes, even on, in the little room there. I was like, wait a minute, the, the, the roof is leaking. Why, what are we doing in this shitty studio? You're a millionaire fucking producer. So in any case, at the end of it all, as I was free, I thought, this is not my record anymore. And I'd given up on it. And uh, Steve was, you know, made himself very distant. Uh, we got to the mixing part. And then all of a sudden, Steve comes to me and says, Michael, Wagner is mixing it all wrong. And they had a falling out. All of a sudden, they started arguing. I said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought at least I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt, doubt that maybe you guys knew something I didn't know, which I knew was not right anyways. But hey, wait a minute. I thought you were in agreement with him. Now you're telling me he's mixing it all wrong. Steve, this album started wrong from the get-go. When we started doing your fucking com- complicated and everything and arrangements and everything, we had a simple rock record we we're going to make. Now you made it all like fucking... Uh, heavy metal histrionics uh, bullshit and now you're saying that you're not even agreeing with uh, Wagner 
this is crazy. And now we got to start all over and make the record what it was supposed to be. So are you in agreement with me? Shall we now go to New York and start again? We even had this guy. He said, yes, let's do it. I said, okay, we'll scrap everything, start from scratch. And we even had uh, this guy, Bob Rosa, who mixed uh, one of the songs, Rock and Roll Degeneration. He mixed it uh, uh, in New York as a, as a test. Uh, we, tr had him, we tried him in The Electric Lady, and it was much better. That's the version, I think, is on the album that, was, that finally came out. And then Steve, uh, all of a sudden, Steve disappeared. Uh, and I thought, what happened to the guy? And next thing I know, I saw him on MTV at the MTV Awards playing guitar with um, uh, the Motley Crue singer, Vince Neil. Oh, Vince Neil, you want to join his band? For about yeah, 10 minutes doing a solo career starting a solo career steve is playing guitar with him all of a sudden without telling me nothing he just disappeared and left me with a bag of shit and and there was even a song called downward immobile which had a chorus that went uh can't have your cake and eat it too he took that song even though i wrote that song with him uh with he took that song with uh uh, with the Vince Neil and they wrote some uh, the verses they changed the lyrics to uh, something Are you else. Serious? I mean, yeah. considering yeah. your history with Vince Neil, all people to go to. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, what a coincidence! That too. is actually insane. Yeah, and uh, they had, but they had the chorus. They can't have your cake and eat it too. They had that yeah. line there, and they called the song "Can't Have Your Cake," and that was my lyric. And uh, the verses I had was much. I mean, down with the mobile, they had a, had a cool point, and the melody was my melody was way better in my opinion, anyways. So they made it into typical kind of like, yeah, they yeah, said that kind of like a melody. Uh, uh, and uh, then I thought my agreement with uh, Polygram Records, they had my publishing, so. It was all Steve, you know, about money too. It's his, his, he says, well, you know, with Billy, we always had 50-50 deal, no matter what. Says, how, how can you know? What if I write with someone else? And what if someone else writes a part in the song? It still had to be 50% for you. And Polygram is taking 50% of my publishing anyways, but with the deal, and they're still not helping me with anything, uh, uh, not getting my songs on any movies or anything. But this time I thought, okay, now we have, a, now I have proof. I said, I went to Polygram. I said, look, this motherfucker's taking the song that was, you know, you're publishing yeah. like, my song now i have proof i've had the original demo now he's made this song uh, he's taken it with an, uh, and credited it to uh, him and vince neil uh stevens vince neil uh, writing the song uh, which is a ripoff so now why don't you sue the motherfucker and get you know this guy's a millionaire so now you can get some money right they didn't do nothing they didn't do jack shit of course and uh mm. that's the way it turned out it's like totally useless so I, I really got fed up with the music business and the conflict with steve was uh, i played from the heart and as it turned out he played from the wallet Wow. So yeah, that's that's a fact. And uh, no, yeah. that's, um, that's 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 glad you cleared it up because I'm sure. Yeah, nice guy. We got along, and uh, you know, like I said, he looked apart, and uh, I thought that, uh, and we had fun times. We had some good times, and he was really, really talented. And but then he was all of a sudden. Uh, well, I'm sure deep down he's very shallow. <laughs> I can't anyway, believe that. that, 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 that that's, is, I'm you know. <laughs> it's incredible, right? You can imagine how I felt at the time. I was so disillusioned and so disappointed at, uh, in life. And I thought, you know, I felt betrayed. I felt like, okay. And I, I, at the end of the all, the end the album ended up costing $700,000. And I tried to stop it when I was about three, I think 300 or 350,000. And I, I, I called, I got the, my A&R guy was in New York. So I was in LA and I, there was the local A&R guy. This guy was, came in with his tan, came to the studio. And then Steven Wagner played him a couple of basic tracks. And I was like, well, sounds great, Michael. What's your problem? You know, I said, what? So what do you want? You're like, it's not my record anymore. I mean, it's fucking, you know, you wanted to, you want to spend another 300,000 and then realize it's a piece of shit that nobody likes. 
So and then I I ended up owing uh, my, my label seven hundred thousand plus after not faking it after that album. Uh, uh, they pulled a plug on that one so i was already a couple of hundred thousand in debt so i, owe, I owed a million to the label so i had to get off the label otherwise i would never have recouped anything not for future. not faking it are you saying for not faking it they you yeah, for not faking it after they had yeah i mean after not faking i was uh it was on its way to sell it could have sold millions but then they had this, yeah they had this stupid the, the tv commercial i got back from a tour in japan and i saw a heavy headbangers ball they had this commercial on uh, uh, on TV saying Michael Monroe uh, not faking it. Uh, uh, the uh, he's the real deal. He's not faking it. Uh, except no substitute. The brains behind Hanoi Rocks is back. And I was like, what? The brains behind Hanoi Rocks? I was like, I made it seem like Hanoi Rocks was calculated, and and Hanoi Rocks had no brains. That was the best right. thing about the band. <laughs> so I was like, this is wrong. This is misrepresentative. I was like freaking out. I was like, this is embarrassing. And I, was, I called the label in the the next mon- Monday in the morning. I says, well, who? Why don't you show show me this uh, commercial? I mean, it could have been good if it was done right. It was it was ridiculous. I was, well, no, no, except no substitute. He is not faking it. Uh, the brains behind Hanoi Rocks is back. I was like, How did you have to say the brains behind Hanoi Rocks? <coughs> Excuse me. So, so I just said, "Oh, you don't like the commercial?" I said, "No." Do you want us to pull it? I said, "Yes." So I just okay. So they pulled the plug on the whole album and let it die. I thought they were. I thought maybe they make a new commercial, but then they didn't. They thought, "Okay." I mean, that's insane because that was your album. That was your your second album. The first one didn't get as much press because you know no, it was, that was the international demo. Not right. so long. It's like I used that. I, I got signed with that record to right. Polygram Worldwide, which was so good. I, but I, this I, one, faking it, you had. And you had, you had the you know, Axel on was, it with you, which he, gave you help. Well, Axel, Axel, Axel didn't sing on it. He was on the video. Of no, but I'm saying, but that gave you the visual of. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, since that, they actually were influenced by you guys. Yeah. And little Steven was uh, singing on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Steven was on it. He wrote that song. Oh, while wow, you're looking at me for me. And we wrote that yeah. jail rock and roll together. And it was a bunch of, it's a great record. Yeah. Man um, with no yeah. eyes. I mean, it's a solid album. Yeah, man, with no eyes, with the very cool lyrics about dictators are very much uh, timely right now with the war and all and yeah. all the disease. We got we got famine while you feast. We got new kinds of disease. Uh, it was about yeah. like, uh, HIV it, at the time. Now now it goes it for it. Just sold itself at that point. I mean, if they just stood back. Yeah, exactly. So then they they just let it die, and they said, "Well, if you're Bon Jovi, uh, well, if you sell millions like Bon Jovi, then you can make demands like that." First, you got to sell the records. And I said, "Okay, fine. I'll just be more of a rarity. Then uh, I'd rather do it on my own, uh, on my own terms, or not at all." So I said, "Okay, fine. Be it. So be it." Uh, and uh, I had to wait till about a year, a little over over a year, until they let me go. They dropped me. Uh, for a while, for a while, I thought they were going to keep me hanging, hanging there for, and they could have kept me because I had a seven, a lot of bands, seven yeah. album deal. I had a long deal with them for like oh. six or seven albums. So uh, finally, one day, my lawyer called and says, "Michael, you know they dropped you." I says, "Oh, that's too bad. Well, thank you for letting me know." And I was like, "Yippee, yippee, yeah!" So I called little Stephen. I said, "Stephen, now we can make the record we always want. I always wanted us to make, and you produced, and uh, we started planning the, which ended up being the Demolition 23 album, which originally was going to be a Michael Monroe album, but then Stephen convinced me to have a band name. I said, "Yeah, I gotta have a name." And then Sammy came up with Demolition 23. I said, "Okay, yeah," because it was a, I like the band situation, like I have now, even though the name is Michael Monroe. It's a band. Well, you have a stellar band right now. Yeah, you know. the best band I could ever hope for, and I—that's how we got Conti, you got Rich Jones, um, Sammy, Sammy is, and, and Carl, solid. And Carl, the best band you could hope for, and that's why I created. I, I make it. I'm very fair with everybody. I, I uh, pretty much uh, share everything. 
very fairly and uh, have that environment. I like to work, have, collaborate with people. Have healthy. A working an environment with good guys, great players, talented as hell and creative as hell. And I encourage everyone to write. And I choose the best songs for the albums, regardless of who writes them. And we work as a band. And that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, great chemistry. Uh, once in a blue moon, you find a, as great a chemistry as we have. And we play live. We hit the stage. That instant is magic. So it's really, really, uh, I'm quite happy with that. And uh, I have to say, uh, uh, so as little Steven said to me, I says, well, isn't it great, Michael? One day you owe them a million and next day you don't. <laughs> the record label <laughs> says, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, and of course, Demolition 23 wasn't as big. I mean, we didn't have a big label behind it. And it came out in Europe on uh, uh, Music for Nations. And uh, yeah, we didn't have a big label pushing it and stuff. So it didn't get much uh, attention. But it's still, at least I had a record that I could be proud of. That's right. why you can understand that uh, the Jerusalem Slam was a thorn on my side. And uh, I still never listened to it because it's a bad memory. But I recommend it. Well, sorry to bring up that bad moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a way over it. And, uh, you know, don't I... I believe me, I, I, I had my my time of uh, anger and, and resentment and, and uh, you know, uh, but I thought I always take responsibility for my own actions. I allowed it to happen. So, uh, you know, it's a learning, big learning experience, the price for the education. Like Keith Richards says, all the times I've been ripped off by a manager, it's the price for the education, mate. You know, and that that million was a, uh, that 700,000 was a price for my big price for my education and uh, actually basically ruined my career in the states at the time uh, uh which could have been completely different but hey so what are you going to do about it i mean that's the way it goes and i'm still happy i'd rather be me than anyone else any of the other people involved no matter how much money they may have well, your albums all your solos things have stayed true i mean i encourage everybody to go listen to all of them i mean you just continually to put out solid solid albums and and you know some of them are, oh, you know, get like you know, horns and halos before they sensory overdrive. I mean, you just constantly just go back, you know, you always just rocking them. Um, and and now one one man gang is, is awesome. And and I'm gonna say one of the things I really enjoy about you and when you play with even with Noi, you you had your singles and like I actually think you had more you had stronger songs than actually needing up around the bend. I think actually your own stuff. Like I was like, why are they putting a song on? It's fun, but their own songs are better. That's Thank my you. opinion. Thank with that you. being said, you guys, you're welcome. A lot of the stuff you guys play is you, your sets, you put songs in there that may, um, definitely songs you want to put in there and not so much um, going for the commercial sound. Or you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you, never... you, you, your set list is, your set list is like, you'll open with two or three songs off a new album and, and some bands will be like, no, 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 no. It's got to be hits. There's a formula. And you're like, nope, I'm going to do King's Road. Da, 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 da. I'm going to do all these songs that are new. Yeah, that's a good point. I there's a lot of bands that are, are happy to bask in the uh, glory of, of their you know uh, past uh, right uh, their uh, you know uh, the good old uh, the good old days in the history. But and, and the fans like it, so it's not bad. But to me, I enjoy the creativity of being like I don't know what's going to happen next. Every every your live yeah. shows are always going to be different. Yeah, that's right. And yes, yeah, so most there's so many bands that bask in the, the content to bask in the glow of nostalgia and play. They make an album to make it as an excuse to go on the road and maybe play one song of the new album. All the rest of it's all the old hits or whatever. And uh, never, I would never do that. I'd rather be making the best records that I make of my career, like most people say. And uh, the, the past four and now with the five records with the new one, yeah, I've uh, been some of the best work in my career. And uh, that's what I, I, I always, uh, I'd rather be that guy than somebody living in the past. And uh, I'll always, I'll never 
uh, I always strive for better and uh, for greatness and for uh, perfection, which I'll never achieve. Luckily, that was keep me hung hungry. It's always room for improvement, and it's always great to get. Uh, I mean, it's a challenge, and then you get get you achieve your goal with, with this new album too. I and mean, it really feels feels like we created something special. And I still love hearing it. I'm not tired of it at all. It's like when it's over, it's, you feel like you want to hear it again. And I managed to keep it to the uh, 11 songs, uh, which is a great amount. Uh, you're, you know, 10, 11, 12, uh, 13 we had on uh, Blackout Stage, and that's the most. And no matter how great the songs, you want to, you know, you get tired after a while. And this has so much variety and and, uh, and the, the production also is pleasant to listen to. You so. produced it there, right? Because you were doing a lot of your own producing all the years. At the very beginning, you, you were yeah, producing from the very beginning, 19, what, 81? I don't know. Uh, uh, produced what? And, and all your, first you produced all, yeah, Hanoi Rocks, you started Rock, his production yeah, up until now. Up until now, stuff. you're still producing. Now, we, yeah, we're self We all produced them. We had, we tried, we had producers like Jack Douglas did uh, Sensory Overdrive and then his mixes weren't happening, so we re had to remix it with uh, my guy Petri Myri in uh, East uh, the, uh, in Finland, and uh, he mixed all the all the past four albums. But this yeah. album, we went for a new studio, a new engineer, Erno Leitinen, who who did this, mm -hmm. and uh, this mix is different. And I'm glad we did that because it's in Finland, though, right? The studio, because isn't there yeah. a deal? And I talked to Steve. He said to me about some kind of deal with the government, and they help musicians. They actually support musicians over there. Oh yeah, you can get grants. You can get really? grants from the government uh, to, uh, as, especially with the corona, if you have the right person uh, representing you, you can get grants for uh, to help. Uh, well, my my problem with this band is uh, uh, only two of us are Finnish. Me and Sammy are Finnish, uh, and the three of the other guys are, uh, you know, uh, uh, foreigners. So that makes it a bit more difficult. But still, we've gotten uh, some grants. Like when we toured in, uh, we had to do the tour, a club tour in America in uh, 2013. We had we had like. 30,000 euros for a, a tour bus, you know, from, from the government at the time uh, to support the uh, international, uh, you know, taking Finnish music to uh, abroad, you know, on that based on that. Well, so, you're yeah, a big part of Finnish music. I mean, you are on some levels the face of Finnish music, you know, worldwide. Yeah, I must say, uh, Hanoi Rocks did, and, and I have taken fin Finnish music. Hanoi opened the doors for bands that never imagined. There's a lot of great bands here, but then nobody ever thought of leaving Finland because they thought, ah, oh, you know, it's in the big world. We're not good enough. Or, and Hanoi, we just left here. We didn't even think that we were finished. We thought, you know, we're going to get out of this country as far as possible and go to London, go to New York, go, go, go to, you know, and, and make something of ourselves in the world. And and that in, that inspired and showed other bands like that came later on, like like him, him, H I M, that band, uh, mm -hmm. big in Germany, big in yeah. in America, and they have a career. Uh, uh, Nightwish, uh, Children of Bodom, and Rasmus, and those bands. Uh, they really uh, after Hanoi opened some doors. And these people, they're thankful that Hanoi did what we did because uh, then we showed why not, why not leave this country and you know it's just good enough, good as anybody else. I remember with Hanoi, we went to London and me and, Sa me and Andy were some party and there was a band that was, was uh, happening and they, were, they had their new album and they showed in a video at this party. I was like, well, Andy, we're way better than these guys here. These, they're locals, man. I think we got something much better. So we thought, I thought, yeah, we got a cool band and so we, we got you know, something to show the world and do some world shaking and you know but yeah in finland there's that's a cool thing uh things change though with the government and stuff and uh with rock and roll not really happening these days uh, well in america it's a uh, part of the tradition is culture there and uh, that's why i love i'd love to play in america if i could but the uh, situation being as it is uh, it's, uh you'll just lose a lot of money and you don't know where it's low yeah. really so uh uh unfortunately at the moment the only gig we have in america is the 
the Monsters of Rock cruise, which was uh, our part, uh, canceled on our part because of the COVID situation, uh, it's going to be happening next year. We're going to we're going to play there. I believe it's in February. But yeah, I would be I'm tempted to go on that cruise. I'm, I've been I've avoided cruises my entire life, but I'm like, oh man, I might have to make a Monsters of Rock cruise. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were there once. We played there once, and and, and guess who was on there? Michael Wagner. <laughs> I said, hello, Michael, how you doing? And uh, it was nice to see him. I mean, you know, of course, he's a nice guy and all, but it was just a bad situation. It was there. I mean, he realized it was the wrong record. I mean, I'm the wrong thing for me. And but at the time, you know, I was I was really I mean, we had the dad. Let me tell you, almost since we took all this time to talk about the Jerusalem, no, well, like the record you're interested in, a typical day in the studio there would be uh you know the three months that we spent wasted there i would have rather given the money to the homeless man but anyway so they, we're sitting at the studio and they're going like okay steve is such a great player so he was like trying out then a couple of solos and michael was like adjusting the eq so i was like that was great solo it's just so, okay do another one steve and then did a second one I was like, wow that's it we're there right that's cool right that, we got the solo and michael oh no excuse me i am just adjusting the eq just a little bit more and then and oh, was recording ever Okay, now go, Steve. And then they did like 10 or 15 fucking solos. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, now we got like 10 of this. And every solo was like more and more like, oh, that's great. That's great. Noodling a million notes a second. I was like, what? That's just a worse and worse and worse. And then in the end, it's okay, you got 10 tracks of this now. So now we got the solo. No, now we do a comp. Oh, you're telling me you don't have a one solo out of all that. Now you're going to combine them together. Oh God. So that's going to take an hour or two. And then I said, okay, now are we done with the solo? Yes. Uh, so now can we move on? No, now we go eat. And then we got to dinner for two or three hours in some f- fancy restaurant. I was like, oh my God. And you can imagine I was freaking out. Yeah. The worst, uh, worst experience possible. So and then you can imagine with little Steven, after I got out of the, my deal, Demolition 23, three days of music recording the basic tracks, Two days I did all the vocals. Then we mixed one song per day. There were ten songs, so it was like about two, two weeks, two and a half he's weeks. Been a, he's been a savior, you know, for rock and roll lately. Between his yeah. underground radio, his wicked cool records, like he has just been the man lately. Coming out of left field, you know, with Dr. Michael Lewis bars, um, you know, Steve's record. Actually, uh, back there in the background, Steve's record is great. Like he's yeah. really just working with everybody and and getting yes. the artists a fair shot. God bless little Steven. He is the savior of rock and roll with me. With me, and I was just talking to him yesterday on the phone, and uh, I was telling him about my my sixtieth uh, uh, birthday uh, concert that's going to be in. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm turning sixty on uh, June seventeenth in a couple of weeks, and uh, there's a celebration in, in Helsinki at the Ice Hall on uh, September twenty third. We're going to have a special concert with special guests and a big production. Very uh, cool. One, once in a lifetime. Yeah, a great, uh, great event. So uh, I was happy talking. early birthday. My, my invite must have gotten lost in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> I don't say <laughs> I'm not even inviting myself. I'm uninvited. Harassing you. But I go. I'm not invited anywhere, but I go wherever I please, and nobody will stop me. Uh, I, <laughs> I have to respect. Uh, it's like Lemmy. No, he would go anywhere he likes, and uh, nobody would say no to him. No, and uh, there's right. a lot of respect. Maybe they were. He was uh, formidable, intimidating to some people, but he. And still a heart of gold, great guy, always consistently fantastic uh, person. Uh, and uh, that's what it's about to me. You know, I'm my own person and uh, I'm um, nobody can take away from me what I have and I, that what I've created. No, you've, you've stayed good. I mean, you guys, even your second version of coming back out with Hanoi Rocks, 
you put some solid albums out. You yeah, did and not, that, was, that was a rebirth. Didn't... And I, that never, I would never have done a tour just to make some money out of uh, Hanoi uh, for the wrong reasons. No, no, I, it wasn't. I mean, it happened. Me and Andy met and got reacquainted and started creating something new. And I thought, well, we started the band together and uh, it was a rebirth. Uh, we actually created some new stuff and it was interesting. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, it was some good stuff. The 12 Shots in the Rocks album has really yeah. cool stuff. And uh, five songs uh, of there were, were supposed to be on my solo album, which was the What You Want album. Which, uh, I, I decided took took him off and I, I replaced them with some covers and uh, decided to give the best songs to the Hanoi album. And, and uh, that was a necessary period. And I was actually willing to do that uh, for as long as it you know was fun and I yeah. for the rest of my life. But then it got to a point where it wasn't anymore. And then so we, we did three albums we made and it was it was a great it was a good and necessary phase and, and working with Andy to see what we could create after all these years and after he had learned to respect my uh, input in the writing it was really it was like 50 50 we we're working together uh, as opposed to in the, in the in the 80s it wasn't like that no. so it was uh, it was a uh, you know at first it was really really good and we created something new there's some good live performances of you guys too playing which is really good I enjoy seeing you two play together live from that yeah. time yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was good. It was a it was a necessary phase, but it's it's actually ironic because the band had the coolest name ever, Hannah Rocks. I thought, and then when he decided, I decided to use the name, uh, the uh, it was a rebirth of that band in a way that. Uh, but that, then again, it was me and Andy and the rest of the guys. Although the last lineup, I think it was the best with Laku and drums and Connie yeah. Bloom. Oh, Connie Bloom. I talked that to him before. He's great. That was, yeah, that was the best lineup I think for that band. But still. Uh, the, the lineup changed. It was mainly me and Andy was the main, were the main guys. So now with my band being called Michael Monroe, I have more of a band situation than that was as, as a band, you know, when you think of it. So that's, but uh, that's what I'm happy about. I mean, we came to a point where we decided this is not going anywhere. So let's just put the band to its final rest with its integrity intact and uh, do a couple of farewell tours and gigs and the last, the final shows at the Tavastia Club where we started in Helsinki. Six, uh, eight shows in six days about two and a half hours each and a lot of singing for one week. Uh, so, uh, and that was it. And uh, we maintained the integrity. Yeah. Of the band and, and that's that. the thing. I can't think of a lot of bands that do the final tour, the final show. <laughs> yeah. And don't, yeah, don't right. go yeah. back yeah. out all and those, do another tour. Oh yeah. Yeah. All those, that, that is really, I think that's real low life. I mean, really low to cheating the fans when, uh, how many times has, well, you know, of course I will not mention any names, but that's, uh, so many bands, <laughs> farewell tour. Okay, this is it, the last time. And then they, they do another tour. I mean, all the fans, of course, they want to see the band for the last time. Right. And then so another one. Cough up cash for it. And... and another one. Yeah, it's just cashing. I mean, that's really, uh, I think that's really unfair to the fans. I would never, I would never do that. That's cheating to me. Anyways, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not judging them. But to me, I would never do that. I think that's really unfair. And, and knowing as a, I mean, I'm a fan of certain things and I would never, I mean, of course, uh, it's kind of like uh, having an album with different colors of the the the, the cover, different covers. Like uh, they had at one point, uh, that yeah. yes, they want. I mean, I'm all for selling physical product and vinyl, encouraging that and having colored a, vinyl is a little different for as a vinyl collector. Yes, colored vinyl, but, but having a cover artwork, yeah, but having artwork like album different. covers is ridiculous. Album cover with a different color, nothing much else different, no different songs, the same album. Not even different, not even right. colored vinyl, but just the cover being looking different. And of course, all the fans, the main, the hardcore fans are going to buy everything. So that's like, why, why would they make people buy the album with a different color? Just and they did it worse during compact discs and um, CDs and cassettes. So it wasn't even getting a new record. It was like the hold. It was really getting a small picture on a cassette or a CD. 
in a different color, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. It's crazy. But you know, I would never do that like a farewell tour. It's not a farewell tour. I mean, that, that was a real farewell. I mean, we finished that, and that was it. And that was the Mark, Mark, Hanoi Mark II, whatever. And uh, but there was still we uh, maintained the integrity of the band, yeah. and it's fine. I wanted right. to give you props for that because I saw that, and there's if people missed it, you missed a special moment. You know, I missed it, but there's there's some really great footage of that online. Yeah, there Good was a big, of course, at the end of it all, the Japanese wanted to film the last show after yeah. I've been singing all this <laughs> whole week. I had no voice of that, but I, I uh, you know, I was just, the last day I remember, I was like, anybody calls, I can't talk now, see at the show. And whispering <laughs> actually can be more straining to your throat too. So I was like trying to be quiet and I, I managed to get through it. And uh, uh, that fa- final show was uh, filmed in, uh, on, for a DVD. It's called Buried mm-hmm. Alive in Japan, uh, Buried Alive. Hanoi Rocks Buried Alive. That was the final, the final gig of that uh, that shows at Tavasti. And uh, yes, it's not not bad. It's, it's still no, good. It's good. Uh, considering I've been singing all week, uh, it wasn't too bad. I was. Uh, I was you have right. a strong voice. How do you how do you keep your voice up? I uh, I sing the right way. I uh, I support my voice with uh, you know your diaphragm. I had some the breathing lessons in '84 uh, from a from a, a vocal teacher who was actually teaching classical and. She had she was an old lady in London, and then she was she had some idea, some things that uh, I didn't agree with. Uh, she said you can't sing softly, for example. It had to be like you produce the voice in your diagram, dia- right. diaphragm, and then your uh, your mouth is your like like guitars have that the, the space that you right. no you create the sound like very technically, which is good uh, to support your voice that way. You don't lose your voice when you're on tour and you're singing every night. Most singers, rock singers, sing wrong. You know, it's a, stra- a strain from the, uh, your throat and. That, that way you easily lose your throat. So, and, uh, you know, warming up and warming down, Bob Ezrin showed me this pretty good warm up. this like, uh, just uh, massaging your vocal cords with the lowest tone you can get and uh, breathing and singing. Once I had, you know, my, I lost my, I, shut, I, I sang my voice, uh, my voice was shot in the studio for uh, the two steps in the move sessions. And uh, Ezrin said, do this uh, and then sing something real low and then for an hour, we gone out to dinner. I was like, fuck you, man. So I started, <laughs> started singing uh, uh, childhood living real softly and breathy and really low key, low, low notes, the lowest I can have that. Uh, and relaxing my throat. And that massages your vocal cords. And then after a while, I said, wait a minute, my voice came back. So Ezra came back from dinner. I said, so how are you feeling? Said, yeah, I'm good. Let's do it. So I, I, I sang um, uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams right there and then. And uh, that's a good thing. Uh, and then, you know, I try to warm up before the shows. Steve always warms up with all this. And, all this, and I was like, I should do that, but I don't really, I don't really do it as much as I should. But sometimes I just go out cold. And it's it awesome. It makes me yeah, laugh yeah, so much. Yeah, and he's a singer too, because he had a. Yeah, he's a good singer. Tinnitus or something. He had to stop playing guitar for a year, so he had vocal lessons from Arcadia Gresta. And he, uh, he actually, it's great to have great singers in the band. Uh, yeah. So, so that yeah, it's fantastic. But yeah, singing is uh, it's physical, and I I mean that's the thing. If the guitar players can change the string, but if you lose your voice, you're fucked. Uh, I mean, if you're like uh, have laryngitis or something, you you can't yeah. make any excuses. You just had got to do the show. But being a pro, you always do the show, no matter what, no matter how you feel like. And and like Ezra said, you can't feel like great every. It's not like every night you can't feel like all right, yeah, let's rock and roll. You have to psych yourself into it and. You a professional does the same show and you go you hit the stage, you make it and you always I always do hundred percent you you become almost superhuman when you're on stage. You do like uh, things that you later on you can feel it in your muscles, your bones, but uh 
you it's sort of uh, it's very to me it's well you tell it up and a lot of singers there's only a handful of singers that can still do it some of them don't sing and here's my say hello to my little friend ain't that a ain't that a little honey that's beautiful that's beautiful does it have a name no, it was stag. <laughs> it's S-T-A-G-G. S-T-A-G-G. Well, I just call it my little honey. It's like a candy wrapper. <laughs> and, Beautiful. Uh, yeah. oh, my wife is... Hang on. <laughs> Watch the other room. Check this out. I haven't played for weeks. Yeah, it's got a nice sound. It's soft and breathy and uh, looks good. That's the most important thing. Uh, I never forget when I was a friend of mine was doing um, uh, the merchandise for Miles Davis in New York. I always got to all the shows. And he, get, he came off stage once and was asking his right hand man, How oh, was that? And the guy said, His, his right hand man said, Yo, you played great tonight. You sounded fantastic. I didn't know how did I play? How did I look? Got a new outfit. So of course, right. I, of course, I play like a genius. How did I look? <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I want to say before we finish. Yes, I got a note. You know this instrument? You blow from your nose into this hole, and then you adjust the pitch from the hole down here. I have never. What is that? Yeah, What's I use that a lot. Sometimes it's called the nose flute or the nose whistle. Nose nose flute, I guess. And uh, this, you can, uh, I saw them in a music store in a, in a jar. And I was like, what are these? And I said, the nose flute. Said, How do you play it? And I was like that. And I was like, let me try it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> you have some, even Horns and Halos, the end of the song, there's that. In the vamp, in the vamp yeah. there's a car and a nose flute. And me, with a husky voice, I can get this high, real high note sometimes. Guys. <laughs> so we created a sound nobody else can have. And a new record, Dearly Departed, in the solo of Dearly Departed, you can hear in the background, it's like, this is no, no sounds uh, with the nose yeah. flute. So all, yeah. all, all the records have some nose flute at some point. Just like Jethro Tull, you got flute in it. <laughs> what? Sorry? Right back to the end, just like Jethro Tull, even you have flute in your music now. Yeah, and I do play the flute, actually. I, I, I studied flute, uh, classical flute for a year. Uh, and that's helped the finger in, in, uh, for the sax. And uh, cool. that way, but uh, well, this yeah. Is I want to thank you, fun, man. Thank, thank you, you very much. I appreciate this. I'm glad you could come on. I took half an hour more than I was supposed to, and it's uh, but it's a pleasure because it was. Nice I'm talking. sorry. Well, no, thank no, you. No, 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 I chose that. No, it's it's okay. a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, and this good is stuff. Of- we were talking the good stuff, and I don't, you know, uh, that you some slim stuff. You know, uh, uh, you were interested in that, and there's a story, the honest story from my point of view. Of course, there's uh, somebody else's view and, and stuff, but uh, you know. Steve Stevens, God bless him. I hope you take care. Take care. Stay well. Bye bye. Bye.